At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hello, hello, and welcome to Hotline Offline. I'm your host, Esther Choi. I'm a chef who worked in numerous kitchens and currently running several of my own. And throughout it all, I've gotten a lot of practice at problem solving in the kitchen and answering burning questions. Every episode of Hotline Offline, I'll be joined by an incredibly talented and wise guest who will help me tackle questions that the Food 52 community and you, our wonderful listeners, are asking us. And we have an amazing episode to kick off this season. Today, I'll be joined by the one and only L. Simone Scott. You might know her from her work with America's Test Kitchen and as the co-founder of the nonprofit She Chef Inc. We'll be answering questions from callers looking for advice on holiday baking. And now I'll be honest, neither Elle nor I would consider ourselves capital B bakers. But because of that, we're tackling these questions from a similar place as who's asking how a home cook might think their way through and out of a sticky situation. And with that, let's get to Elle. So excited to be talking to my girl, Elle Simone, on all things holiday baking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got this girl. Elle, are you baking anything this holiday? I'm going home to Detroit for Christmas, and I think I'm going to make um, a rum cake. A my rum cake? Yeah, my great-grandmother used to make an amazing rum pound cake, right? So I think I'm going to try and recreate her recipe for the holiday. Delicious. Um, yeah. What's in her rum cake usually? It's most, it's just pound cake and tons of rum. And tons of rum. Does yes. she like put raisins in and soak the raisins in rum or something? No, that's no? actually the Caribbean way, right? Oh, okay. a, lot of, a lot of people from the Caribbean do make um, their cakes with berries and nuts and things. I've been soaking for over a, for at least a year, right? Like they what? start soaking from, yeah, from like Christmas to Christmas, right? Wow. So it, her recipe is a sour cream uh, pound cake. It's a gradual, it's like making a rum syrup, if you will, Ooh. and not pouring it all on the cake at one time, but like, you know, taking the, pouring in the first round of rum inside the mold and then taking the cake out of the mold and then pouring another layer of the rum syrup on top so that you kind of get a good even saturation. So for her, her cake is more about the method than it really right. is about a, a fancy recipe. It's a standard rum that. cake. With a rum syrup made and and with an even distribution. So when you're using these molds for uh, a cake like that, mm -hmm. it's it's definitely the ring mold, right? That has yes. like a certain shape. Do yes. you have any tips for how to get the cake out of that mold? Oh yeah, I mean, well, first you know you have to make sure that your cake mold is floured, oiled, and floured properly right right okay um, the other thing is when you take the cake out of the oven to cool it on a cooling rack. 
So like that heat doesn't start to settle to the bottom when the right. cake starts to cool, right? The cooling rack, it's like that convection method that right. we talk about, right? It keeps the, the cooling happening all around all sides of the cake. And then also just letting the cake cool. Like if you try to take your cake out too hot, it's going to break without a right. doubt, uh-huh. right? Make sure, give it all the time that it needs to really cool. And that's how you can get that cake out successfully. I feel like that's a really good tip of the cooling rack. I think that as you know, someone that doesn't bake that often, it seems like an unnecessary thing to have, you know, like the cooling rack. But I feel like that is actually very important. Like it is cooling your, you know, baked good or whatever you're baking, cooling it completely. Right. I cool everything on a cooling rack, to be honest. Yeah. Love that tip. So Esther, you mentioned that there are some pretty standard rules of baking that if you follow them, you could be relatively successful. Could you share a couple of those? For sure. One of the things that I don't enjoy doing while cooking, but is very necessary to baking is measuring. Mm-hmm. And I know it seems so basic to be like, okay, me- measuring is like definitely the most staple thing in baking, but it is like, and knowing how to measure, like um, how are you leveling out your flour to your cups? For me, it's always easier if you use a scale. And I, mm-hmm. I really think that you can be a really great baker when you like measure it out and weigh your ingredients out. I'd say that that's the number one thing, measurement. Yeah. And number two, like room temperature ingredients, like temperature of your ingredients you're using. Mm -hmm. Some recipes will call for like cold butter. And I'd say that maybe that's the only thing that you want cold. Everything else should be room temperature. Mm, right. These are kind advice. of like, yeah. yeah, these are staples. What else is there? Oh, you know, I, speak, let's just step back to measuring for a moment. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people don't know that you shouldn't measure um, liquid ingredients in dry measuring cups. Like some people don't know the difference. There are people who just will think, oh, I'm, I measured it in this cup, you know, and that's not how it goes. So, you know, dry, making sure that you're using the measuring cups for dry things like flour and sugar, uh, et cetera, and then using the measuring cups with handles and spouts for liquid items. Yes. Very, yeah. very important. Yes. <laughs> and how about um, maybe keeping in mind what pan you're vessels? using? Or, I yeah, was vessels. just going to say that. Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, maybe number one could even be to like supersede all of these things is refers just reading your recipe and making sure you have all the tools that you need for what you're going to do. Right. Because if you read the recipe, then, you know, what needs to be cool, what needs to be at room temp, you know, what vessels you need to have for baking in. So you already inventory what you have versus what you don't have. You know what measuring tools you need. I think that just reading the recipe first so that you have an idea of what direction you're going in is should be like step number one. Read right. that recipe. And then and then you can shop, right? After you've read the recipe, you know everything that you need to buy or everything you already have at home. And then you can go from there. Yeah. I think those three staples, mm-hmm. read your recipe. Yep. Know your measurements and mm-hmm. how you're measuring and temperature of the ingredient. And obviously that the vessel that you're, you're baking. Yeah. And pre and prepping ahead of time. Like there's a lot to be said about mise en place. It's not just for food professionals having your, having all your ducks in a row before you even start cooking. is just like, is the key to success. Right. So we have our first guest on cue to ask us 
their holiday baking question. So let's get into it. Hello, Jeff. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. We have Elle with us. We're going to be helping answer any burning questions that you have on holiday baking. Okay. If I were to attempt something with my family this Thanksgiving as a beginner baker, do you, can you recommend me something? Elle, you can take this. You know, I think you can never go wrong with like a classic cake. We were just talking about like, I am a holiday purist, right? So I always lean towards pies, but pies are not as simple um, as they seem, right? But a classic two, three layer yellow cake with chocolate frosting is always, you know, great. I think that what people look for the most during the holidays with desserts are the looks, honestly, right? I would say like make a, a multi-layered yellow cake with a delicious buttercream frosting and decorate it with like some sugared cranberries. Amazing. So simple, right? <laughs> like it sounds very hard. Though. Right. Okay. It, it, re- it really isn't. It's like basic yellow cake. I mean, I am going to be the first to say right here in this place, I am never against telling people that they can buy a box cake. You know, like if this is your first time, spend your time making the cake look beautiful, right? Like the cake is going to taste delicious. It's going to be great. Or make the cake, you know, make the cake from scratch and buy your frosting. You can just choose which components you want. But I always say if it's your first time, don't go too far don't, don't, be, don't be overly ambitious. Yeah, don't be overly <laughs> ambitious, you know, because you don't want to build yourself up for set yourself up for yeah, disaster. That, that might be my biggest, biggest problem. I always overshoot, always overpromise. Classic problem. Yeah. Um, so question about the um, a multi-layer cake, because I feel like this is something that one of the reasons why I never got into baking is just I don't have the equipment. I like I, I was like, it's, it seems mm. like a whole different set of equipment. Yes. I, I'm, I'm imagining that I need to have one of those um what's it called i guess those those releasable bake pans oh spring form pans. pans and yeah. I'm, I'm, i mean when no. you tell me multi-layer i'm thinking okay i need to cut it horizontally so i need a <laughs> long enough knife to do that right is that is that am i thinking about this correctly <laughs> i mean you're not too far off base okay. i mean you could really just get some basic round cake pans okay. right round just eight inch round cake pans or nine inch depending on how big you want to go and if you're worried about like making sure that your layers are even, you can also just make two cake mixes. Like I just make two good, nice, good, thick layers, okay. and and you can cut those. Don't, you don't you don't need a long. But don't knife. they round off? Those it doesn't like become like wobbly. This is a tip: use floss and just you know really? use that. Wait, tip. that can mm-hmm. that's. But don't thing. use like maybe don't, don't use, use the, the minty floss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> use the plain flavored floss. Yeah. And you could just kind of go like that. Well, here's another suggestion, Jeffrey. I guarantee that you probably have an eight by eleven kind of little casserole dish. Lemon bars. Yes. Yep. Any kind of bar or mm-hmm. cookie mm-hmm. bar. You can also make cast iron skillet chocolate chip cookie, which is also very amazing. You can make um uh, cherry cloud foodies, any type of lemon cloud foodie. You can make a Dutch baby pancake with sugar and lemon. Like, you know, when you when it comes to dessert, you actually can make a lot of things with what you have right in your house. You can use your cast irons. Yeah. Tartaton. Like you could do that yes. on your stovetop. Yes. Just layer the dough on top and then bake it. And that it looks so beautiful. Like that looks like you're a pro when yeah. it, it really isn't that hard to do. 
And Tartatine only sounds intimidating. Yeah, it sounds, never, what is that <laughs> and you can make those savory. You can make them with tomatoes and mm-hmm. you can make them with plums. You can make them with apples. Okay. Is it bread? It does have a breading. Okay. It has uh, a. It, so usually it's like puff pastry, but yeah. I feel like you could use like even like a cake batter on top. Mm-hmm. So, so basically you start on the stovetop, you make a caramel, lay your, you know, fruit or if you're using vegetable Wait, whatever so you just drop like make a caramel like it's a simple thing i've made it once and i made it terribly <laughs> isn't it really hard to make a caramel like don't you have to control no, the temperature it's just sugar. Very specifically no now not with tartatan it's not it's okay. it's a rustic dish okay. right it's it's kind of like it's a homemade rustic recipe it's not like one of these french recipes that has so much complication to, to be honest with you there are not that many ways to make it like tartatan is almost so classic that you could google a recipe and it would probably be the same recipe from like 500 years ago yeah and also it's it has the wow factor like you never know that it was so simple mm-hmm. it's a very very simple dessert um like cooking and then like throw it in the oven and it's it's one of my favorite things it's it's absolutely delicious the most complicated thing is flipping it out of the pan. I promise yeah, you, that's it. That's a little, co- but you know, in, in the simplest way. I mean, that's yeah. the hard finishing. Ooh, it is the yeah. hardest yeah. part, like getting it onto the plate, and then that's it. Yeah, I'm looking that's at the great. pictures. I'm like, that's that's a proper flip. Yeah, <laughs> it's gorgeous. Yeah, Holy yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I'm all for the low effort, high reward situation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So as a first time baker, I definitely suggest something like that. You know. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for dialing in. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah. best of luck with the rest of your, your hotline, I guess. Is that what this is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. He's adorbs. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He's like, mm, I don't know. Yeah, he's like, I can't do that. He's very honest. <laughs> so let's take our next question. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jen. So what is your favorite holiday dessert? I think my favorite holiday dessert uh, is p- maybe pie in general, but but specifically for Thanksgiving, I love the sweet potato pie. But for Christmas, I really love um, pecan pie or pecan where you're from, or it depends on where you're from. I'm a pecan Midwest girl. I love pecan pies, sweet potato pies. How about you, Esther? You like your classic desserts, huh? I love a classic dessert. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know? I know. I I mean, I feel like there. It's only once a year you get to eat pies like this. So yeah. for me, for me as well, I think I have to go with pumpkin pie. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But but I also like pumpkin cheesecake. That's one of my mm. favorites. Um, after I tasted pumpkin cheesecake, I can't really go back to pumpkin pie because now like the cheese element did it for me. Yeah, cheese so. makes everything better. Speaking of pies. Um, so is it okay to use like the, the frozen um, dough <laughs> instead of like rolling out your own dough? I think that there is um, the answer is yes. Right. I think that some not all brands are created equal, though. I think it is always worthwhile to do a little research to just find out uh-huh. like what consumers are feeling like are the best um, brands of store bought um, at America's Test Kitchen. We have a tendency to lean towards um there's a Pillsbury that we use, and uh, there's another brand that I can't think of off top. But Pillsbury is our winning store-bought brand, so I'm gonna say yes. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
For sure. I mean, any shortcuts or corners that you can cut in terms of, you know, holiday dinner prep, I'd say go for it, especially something like pie crust that is it's delicious, like the frozen pie crust and even the fresh ones that you can roll out yourself. They're super easy to use. And I'd say definitely go for it. Anything that makes it easier. So if I don't have a rolling pin, is there another tool that I can use to roll out? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, Jen. My, I don't own I don't own a rolling pin. So. My my favorite alternative rolling pin is the wine bottle. It Same. works, right? Oh yes. Okay, thank you so much for dialing in, Jen. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Great question. Thank you. Shall we let our next guest in? Oh yes, absolutely. I'm ready for the next question. Hey. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Thanks for calling in. So I'm doing um, the holidays with my roommates this year. And I'm one of the only ones in my roommates that eats like dairy and cheese and milk. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out how do I make dessert or any like the cookies or brownies without milk. So dairy substitute. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then tastes like coconut. I would say that you can, you should do a little bit of research on the different types of milks out there. So obviously one of my favorites is oat milk. There's almond milk, but you don't want to really alter too much of the flavor of what you're making. So I would say that definitely depending on what you're making, you should definitely do your research on what type of milk would kind of go with that flavor profile so uh, do you have something in mind where what you want to make? I wanted to make a double food cake chocolate because I just love chocolate and milk chocolate because it's just so. Right. Ugh, I'd mm-hmm. say I'd say any of the milks would kind of pair well because it's chocolate. Chocolate's an easy one. I think when you're baking vegan, it gets very tricky, you know, um, Especially if you're not a baker by trade, right, where you kind of know how to do all the balancing out of substitutions. Some things that people are using now to help them bake without dairy are um, oat milk, as Esther mentioned, um, using coconut oil in smaller portions, right? Like not making coconut milk, coconut oil, you know, um, using varying ingredients kind of starts to level out the flavor. So like oat milk, are you familiar with aquafaba ashley i'm not actually okay so aquafaba is basically like the bean juice of chickpeas right so when you open the can and it kind of has like that thick kind of creamy substance it's called aquafaba and it's used in a lot of vegan baking right it's kind of the dairy substitute if you will i mean you can make pavlovas using aquafaba actually So, I mean, those are some of the ingredients that I would say lean towards when you're looking to do substitutions. But it is something that does require a little bit of research in terms of recipes. Now, would I say this close to the holiday? Would I be too adventurous? I would say no. I would say take take the pressure off yourself and see if you can find a more simple recipe like a cookie or maybe even like a vegan pie, you know, there you can always lean towards fruit pies when you're trying to avoid dairy because usually there's 
little to no dairy in a fruit pie. You can also, you know, make dairyless crust. You can buy crust that's dairy free, right? So don't put a lot of pressure on yourself to make something like an angel food cake or devil's food cake 10 days before the holiday because you might frustrate yourself. You can save that for next year <laughs> and to give yourself a year, a year worth of time to practice. But like, take it easy on yourself and, and make something that will be stress-free for you, a little less complicated in substitutions, you know, um, always yeah. think, you know, think of a tart or um, what it was, uh, cobblers, you know, things that are a lot easier to translate from dairy to vegan. I like the idea of a fruit tart. That sounds much easier. Mm-hmm. I love that L. Yeah, that's true because you know, you can't, it's not like a one-on-one substitution when it comes to things like uh, baking, especially yep. when it comes to like milk, which is a staple ingredient. You would have to definitely find the right recipe, test it a few times, make sure it works for you. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're kind of cutting it too close, right? So maybe save that for like next year. Yeah. Try that fruit tart. I think you'll love it. And then, and because things are seasonal right now, like you can like a really delicious um, apple tart with maybe like um almond crust, Google, you know, something like that, right? Where you can kind of work with things that are just easy to access, easy to make, almost fail proof, something simple, make it, make the holidays enjoyable for yourself. I like that. The holidays are for me. Yeah. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. You're welcome. Good luck. That was a hard question because you can't really substitute. These are extremely interesting questions. They're very nuanced. I'm impressed with the listeners. They are really, really getting into this baking. Let's let our next guest in. Hello, Priscilla. Hi. Any holiday baking questions? Sure. What's your hot take on resting cookie dough before you bake? Cookies are the one thing where it's kind of like you have to remember that everything is room temperature before you form your dough. Mm-hmm. But after you form your dough, you definitely have to chill it. So it has to be super cold. That's kind of like the general rule of thumb for for cookies. You definitely room temperature, make the dough, then you have to chill the dough. So that would kind of be like the resting period, I would say. But it has to be cold. Yeah. I mean, it's cookie control. I mean, if, you know, if you're not a stickler about like shape of cookies or thin or thickness, which most people are, if you're even into cookies, like those things are important to you. Keeps them from spreading, flattening out. You don't want a sheet tray cookie. You want probably a dozen round cookies in that refrigerator or freezer time, as Esther suggested, is the thing that makes sure that your cookies look uniform. I mean, I need everything to look alike just in case. Right. So I need all my cookies to look the same. So Esther has given the best cookie advice. I would agree 100 percent. Yeah. Esther's a boss. Um, Well, yeah, I will incorporate that when I bake my holiday cookies this year. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 I love that. Straight and simple. What do we do about these cookies? Room temperature before baking and super cold when you're actually to bake. Yeah. Yes. Yes. These are great questions. I, this is not as hard as I thought it would be. It's a little easier than I expected. <laughs> I smile. Let me not speak too soon. Someone will call yeah. and ask about a beef wellington or something. <laughs> Thanks, Harry, for joining. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so I have... Uh, a question about my oven because it has a couple different buttons. So I can preheat it 
for baking, but then there's also a thing uh, button on it for a convection bake. And I don't know what the difference between those two are. And so I don't know if there's a difference in, you know, how my cookies are going to come out if I do it in a bake or a convection bake. The most important answer to this question is the difference between regular baking and convection baking. So convection is basically when you turn it on, you'll hear like a fan come on. Right. And that kind of means like the heat is circulating around the stove. Right. So that means that this is giving um, all around cooking experience to whatever you're cooking. So convection is really good for baking. Right. Because it provides even baking. It's good for like dinner rolls, bread, you know, things that you want to have like even doneness all the way around. And that could also step outside of the baking category, but it really just kind of depends on what you're making. I tend to use convection like if I'm roasting a chicken sometimes, right? If I'm roasting it on a rack, because let's say, for instance, a recipe I I do is um, I do beer can chicken, right? So you're kind of like putting the chicken on top of the beer can and it's sitting on a rack or it's definitely sitting on some sort of rack. And I, and I want the cooking to happen all around the chicken. So I would use convection for that, right? Um, it's not laying flat. I want it all to be browned on the same on all sides. Um, so I would use convection, right? So baking can be good for your meatloaves, your braising, anything that's in a Dutch oven. Um, but your convection can be used for things that you kind of want to have more of a uniform look. That's super helpful. Uh, thanks so much for, for your advice. Appreciate it. Bye. No problem. Al, thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners want to come find you, where can they find you at? Oh, well, thank you for having me. Anyone who wants to come and find me can find me on Instagram at L underscore Simone underscore Scott. You can also find me doing some wonderful things for for women of color in food at She Chef Inc. Um, And also I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm everywhere. It's just Chef L Simone, L Simone Scott. You can find me. I'm not that hard to find. Thank you, Chef L. Thank you so much, Esther. It's been so nice to spend time with you. And happy holidays, girlfriend. Happy holidays to you, too. Let me know how your rum cake turns out, because I want to make it. I sure will. Thank you so much to everyone who called in with those incredible questions. And another massive thank you to El Simone Scott for stopping by the hotline to answer them. If you have any more questions that you're dying to know the answer to, remember to leave me a message at 518 518- 291-9877. Hotline Offline is a Food 52 podcast and is produced by Coral Lee and Harry Sultan. Remember to follow so no questions go unanswered and no answer goes unheard. Bye.